This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hoffland and Sonia Portillo. In this edition of the Alcazine Brief, we review some of the interesting studies presented at the 59th Annual Meeting of the American Society of Hematology, which took place December the 9th to the 12th, 2017, in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm Peter Hofland, here with Sonia Portillo, and this is the Onkis in Brief. On today's show, we'll be recapping one of the most important healthcare conferences of the year, the American Society of Hematology. The organization has 17,000 members across 100 countries, and this meeting is really a very big deal. It's one of those must-go-to meetings for oncology and hematology specialists, but also for oncology nurses, researchers, and patients alike. It's here this year in Atlanta where we heard some of the most exciting news in the treatment of some really bad diseases, such as multiple myeloma. Multiple myeloma is a blood cancer that is uncurable and very aggressive. Patients with this disease face recurring patterns of remission and relapse, and there are about 95,000 people in the U.S. right now that are living with multiple myeloma, with some of those patients being in remission, some not. And each year, almost 13,000 patients die from the disease. Multiple myeloma is also a very complex disease, with different subtypes characterized by ongoing remission and relapse. The disease develops in plasma cells located in the bone marrow microenvironment. It is typically characterized by osteolytic bone lesions as well as renal impairment, both of which are part of diagnosis. About 90% of patients develop osteolytic lesions during the course of the disease, which can increase the risk of bone complication, also known as skeletal-related events. Preventing bone complications is a crucial aspect of caring for multiple myeloma patients with bone metastases because these events can cause significant morbidity. Skeletal-related events in real-world multiple myeloma patients actually drive up healthcare costs by approximately 75%, so this disease represents a major unmet medical need. Indeed. This year's meeting was packed with treatment-changing presentations, but perhaps the biggest news came from new research in targeted and personalized medicine. For example, companies like Seattle Genetics, Takeda, Estellas, Amgen, Genentech, and Bluebird Bio, to name just a few, unveiled spectacular trial results for therapies that could someday become real life-saving treatments. While we cannot discuss all the progress made in this episode, we will discuss some of the novel therapies and how these approaches could reshape cancer and hematological treatments. And we have a short interview with Dr. Nupur Rajay, Associate Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School, Director of the Multiple Myeloma Center at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. Well, Sonia, I don't know about you, but uh, I must say that this meeting, this annual meeting this year for the American Society of Hematology offered so much news. It is something like something really big happened. So in this program, in the past, we've talked about chimeric antigen receptors, T-cells, or CAR-Ts. We've done it a couple of times, uh, but for some reason, for some of our new listeners, I maybe try to explain what this uh, trial or what this kind of drug involves. In simple terms, it's a gene therapy. And the goal here is to re-engineer a patient's immune system so that they can find and kill cancer cells. It does this by removing the T-cells from a patient's body, re-engineering them so that when they are reinserted back in the patient's body, they can find specific proteins that are expressed on cancer cells and that allow the T-cells to kill them. 
It's also a very unique and very personalized treatment option. And we've got some very exciting CAR-Ts presented here at the annual meeting of the American Society of Hematology. Let's talk about one of them. It's a drug called BB2121 that reported some absolutely incredible numbers in heavily pretreated multiple myeloma patients. This drug is a chimeric antigen receptor T-cell, or CAR-T, therapy that targets B-cell maturation antigen, or BCMA, in previously treated patients with multiple myeloma, and it's being developed by Bluebird Bio and Celgene. Earlier this year, the drug was granted breakthrough therapy designation by the United States Food and Drug Administration and priority medicines designation by the European Medicines Agency. And this was based on preliminary clinical data from the ongoing Phase one study with a study called CRB401. In June, early stage Phase one results were presented, and this included just a handful of multiple myeloma patients for this CAR-T. Now, they've updated this data from the trial, which is now being presented at this year's meeting, and the results were very impressive. From June to December, in just six months, the trial results were really remarkable, showing an incredibly high overall response rate and complete response rates in a patient population that's really in dire need of new treatment alternatives. The specific numbers, that was 94% overall response rate to the drug, and that was across 21 patients. On average, those patients had already tried and either didn't respond to or failed to respond to seven previous therapies. So you're talking about a 94% response rate in a patient population that has clearly run out of treatment options. And given, um, given how many prior therapies they've received, their treatment options have become extremely limited. Very true. And these numbers are indeed very impressive. By the way, the complete response rate was 56%. And this is really a high percentage in this patient population. In comparison, Johnson & Johnson won approval for their drug, their Tumumab, it's, uh, which is also an anti-cancer drug. This binds to CD38, which is expressed or overexpressed at multiple myeloma cells. The drug was originally developed by Genmap, but is now being jointly developed by Genmap along with Johnson & Johnson's subsidiary Janssen Biotech, which acquired worldwide rights for the drug. Their Tumumab had an overall response rate of 20% and a 3% complete response. After the break, we'll talk a bit more about the exciting new treatments presented at this year's annual meeting of the American Society of Hematology. And welcome back. In this program, we've also talked about antibody drug conjugates. Antibody drug conjugates, or ADCs, are a new class of highly potent biopharmaceutical drugs composed of an antibody linked via chemical linker to a biologically active drug that is too toxic to be used on its own. In linking monoclonal antibodies with cytotoxic agents, scientists have been able to optimize the features of both parts of the drug components. And these drugs are representing a revolution in the treatment of cancer and hematological disorders. Now, it's interesting to mention at the beginning of this year, there were only two drugs commercially available in the United States in this particular class. This year, two new drugs in this class were approved, bringing the total number to four. And the expectation is that in 2018, one or two new ADCs will be approved. Now, interesting to mention too, is that three of the four ADCs that are now commercially available in the United States are for hematological diseases. One exciting ADC that was presented at ASH 
is called GSK2857916, which showed a positive response in a very hard-to-treat and heavily pre-treated, relapsed, or refractory multiple myeloma patient group. In fact, this drug was recently awarded the Breakthrough Therapy designation from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Now, the results presented came from the dose expansion phase of the Phase 1 and 2 DREAM study, and that's DREAM spelled D-R-E-A-M-M. And they revealed that monotherapy with this drug offers a 60% response rate and a progression-free survival of 7.9 months, which is pretty good for such a hard-to-treat patient population. The drug linker technology for this ADC is licensed from Seattle Genetics, and the monoclonal antibody is produced using Potelligent Technology, which is licensed from BioWa. What this technology does is it eliminates fucose from the sugar chains on the antibody, which then enhances the antibody-dependent cellular cytotoxicity, or ADCC, which is a critical factor in anti-tumor activity. Indeed, very interesting. There were also two other studies presented showing frequent expression of CD74, a cell service protein in hematological B-cell malignancies, in both heavily pretreated and never-treated multiple myeloma, and in three major types of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. The study was performed using an unconjugated antibody from STRO001, a novel antibody drug conjugate being developed by Sutro Biopharma. This investigational drug demonstrated potent in vitro cytotoxicity and in vivo anti-tumor activity in both multiple B-cell tumor cell lines and Sinecraft models. Based on the results of these preclinical studies, Sutro plans to submit an investigational new drug application by the end of 2017 and to launch a phase one clinical trial in the first quarter of 2018 to evaluate the safety and preliminary efficacy of STRO001 in patients with multiple myeloma. Now let's shift gears a bit. During the annual meeting, we had the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Nupur Rajay. Dr. Rajay is Associate Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School, Director of the Multiple Myeloma Center at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. She spearheads a translational research program evaluating novel therapeutics in myeloma with a special interest in the biology of myeloma bone disease. Dr. Rajay is a member of the International Myeloma Working Group and NCCN Clinical Practice Guidelines Committee for Multiple Myeloma at the Massachusetts General Hospital. We asked Dr. Rajay about some of the exciting new treatments in personalized therapies and targeted therapies. After the break, we'll be back with our interview with Dr. Rajay. And welcome back to Zonkazine Brief. During the annual meeting, we had the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Nupur Rajay. Let's listen. Dr. Rajay, you're with uh, Mass General in Boston. Um, you're involved in a number of uh, clinical trials. Uh, can you uh, first introduce yourself to our listeners and then maybe widen out a little bit about the kind of trials that you're involved with and the kind of research that you do and the benefit that it may have for patients? So as you pointed out, I do work at Mass General. I direct the multiple myeloma program at Mass General, and I'm a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. Um, 
I run the clinical program as well as have a translational lab and have been interested in developing newer treatments for the management of myeloma as well as been focused on uh, bone disease, bone biology, and the treatment of bone disease in myeloma. So I've been involved in a bunch of these trials in the myeloma space. And when you look at myeloma and you kind of the, the kind of disease it is, um, describe a little bit uh, about the importance of new developments, the unmet medical needs in, in that area. We've been very fortunate with multiple myeloma, and we've had uh, tremendous advances over the last several years. And, you know, it's one of those disease groups wherein we've had multiple approvals in the last several years. So that has really impacted the survival of myeloma patients. We've nearly trebled the survival of multiple myeloma patients. Uh, we still have not cured a large fraction of those. So it still remains uh, a disease where people are dying from this and therefore it is an unmet need. What has been lagging behind in the treatment of multiple myeloma is certainly uh, taking care of bone disease. Now bone disease is a very common problem uh, seen in patients with multiple myeloma. More than 80 or 90% of people will have bone-related complications associated with the multiple myeloma. And it really depends on how hard you look. Um, if you use sensitive tests, I would argue and say that 100% of myeloma patients are going to have bone-related problems. What has happened up until recently is we've had just one class of drugs, which is the bisphosphonates, which have been approved, and they've really done a remarkable job in helping uh, take care of patients with multiple myeloma. And with respect to these, we've had two drugs, uh, one of them being pomidronate and the other one being um, zoledronic acid. Both of these are intravenous bisphosphonates, and they have, in fact, been very useful in trying to uh, decrease the rate of skeletal-related complications, which are a huge cause of morbidity in patients with multiple myeloma and can, in fact, even impact the survival of multiple myeloma patients. So outside of these two drugs, we really haven't had any uh, other uh, options for treatment in this space. The other big issue with multiple myeloma patients is kidney disease. And if you think about a myeloma patient during the course of a patient's lifetime, uh, you know, 50 to 60% of patients with multiple myeloma will develop renal toxicity and renal-related issues. Uh, the problem with the drugs we have available for the treatment of bone disease right now, which includes the bisphosphonates that I've just talked about, is they are limited in how we can use them in the context of renal dysfunction because these are renally cleared and they can actually compound renal toxicity. And we do have a subset of patients in uh, with myeloma wherein they are dialysis-dependent or have significant renal morbidity, and these drugs actually cannot be used in those. So this is a real unmet need uh, in terms of renal disease and bone-related complications uh, in the treatment of multiple myeloma. So despite us making significant advances in the treatment of multiple myeloma, which has certainly impacted how we take care of bone disease because we are seeing less and less complications, we really haven't had alternatives up until recently. So you are involved also in the global economic model, uh, the XGEM kind of uh, program. 
Uh, how does this relate to what you just told us right now about the, the progress that's being made? So before we talk about the XGEM model, I'd like to talk about the trial in itself. So as I mentioned, you know, we've only had zolodronic acid and pomidronate as standard of care. So what we went ahead and did was a very large and I believe a pivotal trial in multiple myeloma. It's probably one of the largest um, multicenter international efforts in the myeloma space. I don't think we have a trial bigger than this and it's 1,700 patients plus. Uh, this was a trial comparing what is the standard of care, which is zoledronic acid, which we use as a monthly IV infusion, to a new monoclonal antibody called denosumab. And this monoclonal antibody is a monoclonal antibody directed against a protein or a cytokine called rank ligand. Now, rank ligand is a, a protein which has been shown for now more than 15, 20 years uh, that it's overexpressed in patients with myeloma. It's overexpressed on the tumor cell and within the myeloma uh, microenvironment, and it is very critical to the development of these bony problems. And we've over and over again shown that the rankle OPG ratio is altered in patients with multiple myeloma, and that, in fact, does impact bone disease. So we were fortunate to have this monoclonal antibody, which is the rankle inhibitor called denosumab. We compared zoledronic acid to denosumab in these 1,700 plus patients. This was a double-blind randomized trial. And I think the other important feature here was this was an upfront trial, so in newly diagnosed patients, where we controlled for certain factors like what is the previous treatment or what is the kind of anti-myeloma treatment they're getting, the stage of the disease, the risk stratification of these patients. So generally, uniformly risk-stratified patients were treated with either zoledronic acid or placebo versus denosumab and placebo. Well, we've obviously our primary endpoint here was to try and make sure uh, and look at the first on-study skeletal-related event. And a skeletal-related event is anything like a fracture, cord compression, need for radiation, need for surgical interventions, which is not uncommon in patients with multiple myeloma. That was our primary endpoint. We were hoping to see equivalence, which we did see in the study. So both zoledronic acid as well as denosumab were just as good in terms of controlling SRE-related issues. What was a little bit of a surprise to us and a pleasant surprise was denosumab-treated patients had a very significant improvement in progression-free survival. And this improvement was close to, uh, it was a little over 10 and a half months, 10.8 months. Now, I honestly do a lot of clinical trials with multiple myeloma, active myeloma drugs. And even of all the approvals that you've seen, We've never seen this kind of a PFS benefit. So this was quite a striking uh, uh, data set that we saw. We were prospectively looking at it. This was an exploratory analysis, but seeing this was quite uh, uh, surprising to us and uh, really quite um, interesting to us. Um, so this 10.8-month 
PFS benefit was something which was in favor of denosumab compared to zoledronic acid. The other interesting thing in the study was what I'd mentioned earlier, which is renal toxicity. In terms of renal toxicity, we saw that denosumab was way better tolerated in these patients compared to zoledronic acid. There was a doubling of renal toxicity in patients who were getting zoledronic acid versus denosumab. And for patients with multiple myeloma, I think this is an absolutely critical feature because we try and do everything we can to maintain their kidney function because it does impact how we would be treating these patients with subsequent lines of treatment. So two very important pieces. And this then set the stage for trying to get a sense of an economic analysis also, uh, because the pushback generally is, yes, these are equivalent drugs, but are you going to be treating with a much more expensive drug? And if you really look at the sticker price of a drug, sure, uh, you know, zoledronic acid now is um, a generic uh, formulation. A generic drug is going to be a lot cheaper than something which is not generic. So if you look at just the sticker prices of the two drugs, they're going to look different. But then you have to look into other factors, and which is where the XGEM model comes into play. The XGEM model builds into this modeling system a whole lot of other value added to the drug in itself as opposed to just looking at the price of the drug. And there are certain features like, you know, denosumab is given subcutaneously, um, Zoledronic acid is given intravenously, so the infusion time, the cost of uh, nursing, etc., is different. We did take into account renal toxicity because renal toxicity will add to um, cost of care in the healthcare world. Uh, the other piece, which I think was extremely important, was this progression-free survival. Because if you have a progression-free survival, you're not going to be using your next line of treatment for these patients with myeloma. That's going to be pushed out that just as much. And most of us know how expensive all the drug combinations we have in myeloma can be in the second line, third line, fourth line, and so on and so forth. So when we took all of this into account, we actually found a benefit of denosumab compared to zoledronic acid. And when you take all of that into account in terms of toxicity, in terms of convenience, in terms of costing, uh, we think that denosumab is a great great alternative, if not a preferred treatment, certainly in patients where you're concerned about renal toxicity, that would be my preferred drug to use. So in summing up, um, very interesting trial, uh, very interesting kind of economic analysis that you're talking about, because we are talking about the cost of cancer, cancer drugs treatment in, in one model, more or less. Um, Overall, how does that benefit patients and, and how does that make your work easier? So from a patient uh, perspective, I think, you know, and we're beginning to look at uh, health economics more from patient perspective, more from value-added perspective, not just with this drug, but in drugs in general. And I think the convenience of a subcutaneous shot, the convenience of continuing to carry on with work, convenience of not having uh, all of these uh, bone-related complications, which can impact your lifestyle, can impact the kind of work you can do, uh, and uh, also impact, you know, rights to the hospital, staying, uh, the caregiver coming with the patient uh, and staying for like 
45 minutes or an hour for an infusion. All of these are being considered in some of these newer economic models. And I do think we need to look at value added um, in terms of how this is beneficial to the patient. So the health economists are already looking into this. So it's forward thinking. And I do think we have to try and incorporate those things into how we analyze data. So in future uh, clinical trials, um, when you look at medicine in general, uh, specifically in in this area as well, um, do you expect that um, in addition to the clinical and the medical questions and the medical research that's being done, the economic part is becoming more important overall? Always. And, you know, in um, oncology in general, you know how expensive drugs are. And if we don't start looking at the health economics more holistically, we might get caught up in not using the best drugs available to us. And you have to look at how much value you add by using these drugs. And that's going to be able to convince uh, folks to use these. And in the long term, I do think using strategies such as this earlier on in treatment is going to be beneficial in the long term. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. This program was originally recorded on December 10th, 2017. We know that based on this program and the interview with Dr. Rajay, you may have questions. So please submit your questions to our editorial team via email, Facebook or Twitter. We'll post as many answers as we can on our website oncozine.com. That is O-N-C-O-Z-I-N-E dot com. Thank you all and thank you for listening. And join us again for our next episode. I'm Peter Hofland here with Sonia Portillo, and this is the Ongoing Brief. The Ongoing Brief was produced for Sun Valley Communication by Peter Hofland, Sonia Portillo, Evan Wint, David Kaler, and Sean Mayer, and distributed by PRX, Public Radio Exchange, and InPress Media Group. Support for the Oncozine Brief comes from our listeners and commercial underwriters. For more information about underwriting options, contact Sean Mayer at 949-923-1660 or visit our website at oncozine.com forward slash underwriting. The Oncozine Brief contains health and medicine-related information and is provided for educational and informational purposes only. The content is not intended as a substitute for professional medical or health advice and does not replace your doctor's advice. Your doctor is the best person to answer questions about your personal health. If you hear something in this program that doesn't agree with what your doctor has told you, ask him or her about it.